0: Good evening, and welcome to yet another episode of The Last Knock, your friends in horror since 2013. Part of the Strange Society Podcast Network. Go to at StrangePodNet on Twitter for all your macabre podcasting needs. My name is Johnny Numb. <clears throat> Billy Crash is currently on a whirlwind tour of the world trying to locate the perfect hard cider so he is not with us tonight so I will do my best to compensate while he is away and uh, getting properly buzzed tonight I am going to <clears throat> excuse me discuss halloween um more specifically um a- what i am doing i guess to commemorate the uh as people like to call it on twitter spooky season um the month of october which is commonly reserved for the viewing of horror films Um, it's also the time of year on social media where you see people making their elitist comments saying well spooky season or halloween is not just once a year i watch horror movies all year and therefore i am somehow better than the rest of you and then you have the people trying to play peacekeeper saying you know what if more people are watching horror movies during october we should be happy because it's bringing us all together in a certain sense um i really don't have strong feelings uh towards either one of those in uh those schools of thought um i do you know, for for years now, I've felt that, <clears throat> obviously, I write a lot about horror movies for Crash Palace and other places. Um, obviously, we talk on The Last Knock about horror movies. That's kind of our thing and has been for a while now. So, you know, <clears throat> I've been immersed in horror movies perhaps much more over the past, uh, you know 10 20 years than i was when i was a little kid growing up before you know the internet was a thing um you know before dvd was a thing um so and before a lot of stuff was even available on vhs a lot of stuff you just couldn't see because of its rarity um or because it was distributed um on a much smaller scale than it is today, where we have a lot of good uh, boutique labels doing the Lord's work of bringing underseen stuff uh, to the mainstream, uh, to the horror-loving masses. So I guess something I've taken for granted for a while, I guess, in the, ever since sort of the VHS days and the watching horror movie marathons on uh, regular TV days went away, was yeah, I was always just watching horror movies all the time throughout the year, just as a general practice slash interest. Um, so I, I never really uh, sort of came up or conjured a theme for the month of October specifically to commemorate uh, or to uh, not commemorate, but just to have sort of a, sort of a goal of what i wanted to watch for the month like sort kind of pick a theme or an aesthetic and pick a bunch of movies that would uh, take up the month of october to sort of build the mood of the halloween season you know fall you know the leaves on the trees are changing and falling the weather is getting a little cooler you know what what are these movies that uh, sort of build a mood um <clears throat> and in a sense you know provide a sense of comfort uh, to me um something i feel like over the past year or two i've been accumulating movies faster than i can watch them so a lot of what i've been doing is watching stuff that is you know a lot of times it's a blind buy um so i'm watching a lot of stuff that's new to me and I'm not taking as much time as I used to to sort of retreat into those comfort zones and watch stuff that I know I like a lot. Um, But I feel obligated to this uh, stuff that's new to me just because, you know, I want to just, I want to experience stuff that's new. So, so this gave me an opportunity to reflect on, you know, movies that I have in my collection. Uh, I think in all cases, physically um i have physical copies of them so i can just take them off a shelf or take them out of a binder and uh, pop them into my blu-ray player and watch them so that was one stipulation i made for myself for this little marathon i planned out um and also i decided that all of the movies i watch as part of this marathon would be in black and white um with the exception of a few silent films a list that have like color tints um, i'm not really counting those as color films um, because because of the era and because that it predates color film so so that was kind of my goal and there were some, there were some black and white movies i'd been thinking about watching for maybe a couple of months or rewatching and part of the reason I came up with this uh, idea of this marathon, which I'm calling Nummo Ween, and we can see if we can turn that into a trending hashtag, is because, hey, I wanted to watch this, you know, I wanted to watch Mickey Keating's Darling, which I hadn't watched in a bunch of years. Um, I wanted to rewatch Diabolique, which I probably haven't seen in close to 10 years. So movies like that, which I, like, have really... strong feelings or had really good experiences or uh you know unsettling experiences watching i wanted to just kind of return to them and to that kind of you know off-kilter comfort zone so basically what i'm going to do for this episode of the last knock after this lengthy lengthy preamble is go through the list of the movies i picked for the purposes of my viewing horror viewing pleasure this month and i an additional thing i decided to put on myself for this is to break the movies out into chronological order so i start with the oldest movies on the list which uh, go back to the 1920s and i work my way up to the 2010s um the last movie on my list is from 2019 so it was interesting to go through my personal collection and just see what was in there um you know there are some movies are like I said movies that I really are really well loved by me and I've seen a bunch of times uh some movies um are blind buys which I have yet to watch so this will be a first time viewing experience um so it'll be an interesting mix uh, largely the Largely the list is made up of movies I've seen before and have watched many times or maybe have just watched once and have been kind of looking to revisit. So it is a bunch of movies, so I'm going to try and go through it at a decent clip, um, but maybe give a little trivia behind some of the lesser known ones or provide some personal anecdotes that I might find I may find amusing, um, or folks at home may find amusing. So basically, uh, Nam-a-ween starts with the 1920s, and the first film I watched, uh, back on October 3rd, I'm recording this on October 8th, was The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, the classic silent film by German director Robert Wiener, starring uh, the immortal Conrad Wiet, um, You know, this is an important part of film history, and Billy and I recorded an episode on the occasion of its 100th anniversary last year, so you could look that episode up if you want to hear more of our thoughts on The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. The second movie I watched was from 1927, and it's Alfred Hitchcock's The Lodger, which is basically his rendition or fictionalization of the Jack the Ripper story um very you know very atmospheric film very well paced uh, has has some dark humor in it that hitchcock would become known for it's a very good movie um uh and moving into the 1930s we have fritz lang's m which remains a classic and unsettling serial killer film um taken from a couple interesting perspectives um, from the criminal underworld from the authorities who are hopelessly um, at a loss to locate a child killer played by Peter Lorre who is fantastic in the film um, just an all in, all in out classic um, says a lot about um, human behavior uh, mob rule and just a uh, you know very unsettling film which leaves a lot of things open-ended which i think is part of the reason outside of the way it's beautifully photographed is what is one of the reasons why it's endured for so long 1932 the island of lost souls uh, robert lawton playing a classic uh, rendition of h.g wells dr moreau um just a, another great film um very well done have you have bella lugosi who's unrecognizable behind a bunch of beast makeup as well so if you haven't seen that one uh, it's available from the criterion collection Um, for years it was only available on vhs so it was nice to see that film get get its proper due and it's another one that's popped up in conversation on the last knock more than once and in the 1940s, uh, Cat People, Jacques Turner's film from 1942. Um, basically, it's a beautifully uh, photographed tale of sexual rep- repression and uh, waking the beast within. But it's also a very subtle film as well. Um, Paul Schrader's 1982 remake is also really worth your time. And uh, it, a good example of a remake done correctly from 1945 the british horror anthology dead of night which is i think one of the great anthologies in all of horror um last night i watched vhs 94 and i am just reminded of how like a lot of modern day anthologies just do not have the same sense of cohesion and uh joining all the plot threads together and the story threads together the way anthologies of yesteryear did um so if you want to see a horror anthology done right um, with a sense of humor and with a sense of cohesion dead of night definitely check it out moving into the 1950s we have henry george clouseau's 1955 classic diabolique um which was remade quite unfortunately back in the 90s um, and totally, totally missed the mark. It's um, just a great example of a black and white photography, um, suspense, uh, fantastic performances. Um, there's a great twist in the film, which I think has been largely ruined through the years um, it, because it's become so well-known. But it's really worth the journey for the craftsmanship and just the level of detail that uh, Cluzo exercises in his filmmaking. The next film is a film I have not seen, um, but there's a story behind that. Um, it's The Zombies of Mora Taw. That's T A U. It's part of Arrow Video's Cold War Creatures box set that came out recently. And my decision to put this as part of the marathon was the fact that I rented this movie on VHS from our local blockbuster uh, on East Market Street in York when I was really young because, you know, I was into horror movies, but of course I couldn't rent any R-rated stuff, so I was often looking for like these black and white movies that my dad would let me rent. So I rented this movie from Blockbuster, tried to watch it. It got The VHS got stuck in our VCR, and I don't remember how we rectified the situation. I think uh, either we had to call someone who did VCR repair or someone from Blockbuster came out and actually somehow got the video out of our VHS player. So, um, so the thing is, I never saw this movie, um, and I don't know that it was really even very available outside of that VHS version up until now. So that's why I put that one on the list. Um, I haven't really heard good things about it, but uh, it'll be interesting to finally watch it after all these years. The next movie is also a movie I've never seen before, um, and it's the French version of Jack the Ripper, um, put out by Severin Films. Um, I know nothing about this version of the this telling of the jack the ripper story so i'll be interested to see what this is about so moving on to the 1960s a film i mention often on the podcast again is uh, george Franju's eyes without a face um which is just one of my favorite horror films of all time um a really emotional uh creepy journey um about obsession and uh, it's, it's got a very tragic feel to it which I really which really resonates with me so you can hear about that probably on any of our other episodes next film also from 1960 is The Flesh and the Fiends which I believe is a telling of the Birkin hair story um, this is a film I watched years ago a friend loaned me his uh, VHS copy under the title Mania. And I believe it was cut, and of course, it was also um, recorded in the inferior EP mode, so the picture quality was pretty crappy. I remember very little of this film, but it does star Peter Cushing and uh, Donald Pleasance, um, so I'm very interested to rewatch it uh, on the Kino Blu ray. Uh, next film I have is Jack Clayton's 1961 effort, The Innocence, which I think is one of the creepiest and actually scariest horror movies ever made. Um, still deals with some taboo subject matter. It's uh, based off the novel The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Um, this was a film that they showed a lot when I was younger on AMC, back when AMC was commercial free and actually showed movies, movie classics and had the little uh beginning intro by bob dorian and then the outro by bob dorian with a little trivia thrown into the mix so that's a film from that's uh, been around and i've been aware of since my childhood um and maybe the fact that it centers around two uh, children also kind of has some additional resonance uh, from that time that's carried over into my adult years the next film on my list and this may uh puzzle some folks but uh, i just it's a film i've been thinking about lately in relationship to another film that i have included on this marathon and that's last year at marion bad um and this is a french film which is not categorized classically as a horror movie but it's just a very eerie film um about memory and perception and it just has this real mood about it of kind of isolation and kind of i don't want to say mental instability but just kind of this feeling like there, there's there's something there's something you know happened or someone you know you met but you just can't place it precisely so, it leads you to kind of distrust your uh, perception of things. So, I think it kind of qualifies in, in a slightly paranoid kind of way as a horror film. And it's just simply a beautiful film with uh, the luminous Delphine Seyrig, who uh, starred as the Countess Bathory in Daughters of Darkness 10 years later. Next film on my list also from 1961 is Curtis Harrington's Night Tide, again another sort of horror film uh, with kind of an interesting fantasy vibe to it Uh, a very young Dennis Hopper plays a sailor on shore leave he becomes beguiled by this woman named Mora who may or may not be a mermaid Um, it's a very interesting little movie one I haven't watched in many years and I've been looking forward to revisiting so we'll see what I think about that one now Um, next film is 1962's The Awful Dr. Orloff um i have made no bones about the fact that i really don't like just franco's films um but he has made a couple that i do for whatever reason appreciate i remember liking the awful dr orloff but this is a film i haven't probably i probably haven't seen in 20 years so i'll be interested to see where i fall with it this time around and next film is Herc harvey's immortal carnival of souls again a film i love to talk about um you know again a film i saw when i was very young on vhs and this is a film i think shares parallels with the last year at marion bad from kind of the looming facade of the carnival um to sort of a, a main character who can't quite find her place in the world or kind of feels detached in a metaphysical sense from the reality around her so i think those two films would make a good double feature in all honesty and i'm looking forward to watching carnival of souls again because it's one of my favorite horror movies next up is uh robert wise's the haunting from 1963 um last year i read shirley jackson's the haunting of hill house for the first time and i absolutely adored it so Rewatching The Haunting will be interesting because it'll be the first time I've seen the film since reading the novel. Um, So I think Billy Crash said before that the the two complement each other quite well. So I'm looking forward to that. Next film is another one I haven't seen, um, but it's The Horror of Party Beach by Del Tenney. So I've seen images of the monster in the film, um, and I have seen Del Tenny's *The Corpse*, uh, sorry, *The Curse of the Living Corpse*, um, which stars a very young Roy Scheider, and also stars Candace Hilligos from *Carnival of Souls*. Next film on my list is 1965's *Repulsion*, um, the uh, Roman Polanski classic with Catherine Deneuve, um, and very, very disturbing film but also very fascinating as well another film that's really beautifully shot too Uh, next film is my favorite horror film of all time and that is 1968's night of the living dead Uh, what more need be said on that next is 1969's the cremator which i haven't again uh (laughs) Story behind this one is I owned the uh, Dark Sky DVD from many years ago. It's been out of print for a. It had been out of. It's been out of print for a while now, and the night I watched it, I, I was getting extremely drunk by myself. Um, so I have very little recollection of this film. And Criterion put it out, I believe, last year in a nice new edition. So I have that version on my shelf, and that's the version I'll be watching. So we'll see how it plays sober from the 1970s the only film i have is david lynch's Eraserhead, but again it's one of my favorites um you know again a very mysterious ambiguous film um and you know there's a lot that's already been written and said about it so i won't bore you with my thoughts here moving on to the 1980s um Again, another film that's been a long time since I've watched it is Guy Madden's Tales from the Gimli Hospital. And this is a film that probably a little like Night Tide, I don't think is particularly generally classified as horror, but it's just a very strange film that sort of takes the approach of of a, of a silent film, of a silent movie kind of with the color tints going on and just... Serves to uh, make kind of a smorgasbord of unusual imagery and uh, storylines. Um, I believe, yeah, I actually believe it is. It is an odd. It has actual dialogue in it. It's not silent, but it's it has a very uh, silent film kind of quality to it, which i appreciated um or at least i recall appreciating so it'll be interesting to revisit that one of course and i believe this one is in black and white um last year for a belated birthday gift billy got me arrows uh sukamoto box set um i have not seen any of that director's movies but he's the guy who did the two tetsuo films and I put uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man on my list because I have yet to watch it and I've heard so much about it through the years um, as, as a body horror extreme kind of film. So I'm going to check that out. Um, finally, some would say. All right, so moving on to the 1990s, I have Singapore Sling um, from 1990. This is a very unusual sort of noir-feeling film um, combined with elements of surrealism and horror. Um, you know, it's just very bizarre tale of a mother, a demented mother and her daughter who take in this mortally wounded man who I believe is looking for looking for a wife or a, gr- a lover or something like that and winds up sort of engaged in this twisted sort of head fucky game with the mother and the daughter um it's a, again a very stylish film um you know people have sort of uh, said as a positive thing that it's extremely disturbing sick as fuck or whatever but it's one of those movies where it doesn't sort of it doesn't se- doesn't seem to really rub your nose in the exploitative elements instead sort of elevates them to a more artistic fascinating place i think so really interesting movie um next film is the french movie man bites dog again a film that maybe isn't considered flat-out horror um it's one of the earlier and also more notorious examples of the found footage film it's basically uh, a French documentary crew is following around uh, Benoit, Benoit um, who is a serial killer as he goes about his routine in uh, in Paris. So it's a, it's a very violent film. Uh, there's some humor to it. There's some really disturbing stuff that happens, especially as the film crew grows more corrupted. Um, so I wanted to thank... Uh, friend of the show um, and director of human no more chris broadstone for uh, sending me his criterion copy of the film recently i was very pleased to get that in the mail and uh, especially since i believe it's out of print now so it'll be again like i'm saying a lot tonight it'll be interesting to revisit that one i think that qualifies more as kind of a true-to-life horror film even if it's not categorized within the realm of straight quote-unquote horror and the next movie i'll be watching from the 90s is the addiction from abel ferrara um this is a film I heard a lot about before oh, watching it for the first time, and I got to admit, uh, after that first viewing, I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. Again, you know, beautiful black and white cinematography. It does have that definite Nicholas St. John script, uh, Abel Ferrara kind of attitude to it. Um, you know, great cast with uh, Lily Taylor, Annabella, Annabella Sciorra, and uh, Christopher Walken um you know it's a vampire story set in the modern modern day new york city um yeah i think there's lots of things to recommend about the film but i want to watch it again to see if i can extract um a little more appreciation uh from it um this time around so i did not have any movies from the 2000s so i'm sure there were black and white movies made during the 2000s i just don't seem to have any in my collection so that is a gap in this marathon so apologies to the 2000s for that and moving on to the 2010s another film i haven't watched in a while but is one that i haven't been able to shake in all the years since i watched it's 10 years old this year is uh, Adam Myers' The Bunny Game, which is kind of a trippy, surrealistic uh, venture into, I don't want to say the torture porn genre, but it just kind of involves uh, this truck driver who kidnaps um, a really down-on-her-luck prostitute, drives her out to the middle of nowhere, and just kind of subjects her to insidious forms of torture prolonged torture and deprivation um it's a very well shot film um again the black and white is very stark the plot is very much uh, more incident more about the individual incidents than an actual narrative through line um so it is very much an experience more than kind of in a point a to point b to point c story um and i kind of admire it for that Um, I believe the DVD Blu ray is out of print. I am not sure if it's streaming anywhere. Um, The next film I'm going to watch is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Uh, This is a film that I thought was good the first time I saw it. I know Billy Crash loved it. Um, I think he gave it a 4.5 out of 5 in his review. Um, I wanted to like it more, um, beautifully photographed. Um, Great, the wonderful Sheila Vand is the lead, is the titular girl um, who happens to be a vampire. Um, So looking forward to seeing how I feel about this film on a second viewing. Um, I purchased it a bunch of years ago because, again, it's one of those movies that kind of left an impression, even though my opinion of it wasn't um, as strong as maybe I wanted it to be next movie is mickey keating's modern classic darling uh starring lauren ashley carter Um, this is just a fantastic uh i don't want to call it a throwback but it kind of is um there's shades of carnival of souls there's shades of repulsion running through this thing um beautifully shot film um i think Excuse me. Every film Mickey Keating does is kind of an interesting experiment, where he stuffs in all this stuff that he loves about movies that he's watched through the years, and he sort of throws it into this really pleasing kind of soup, <laughs> kind of like a, just everything, everything, everything kind of thrown in, and it just it just comes off wonderfully. Um, you know, it's a very it's a very moody piece. Um, great performance by lauren ashley carter who really carries the film it just goes to some unexpected places extremely atmospheric um the cinematography is fantastic really capturing the feel of something like uh, i would say it captures the feel of something like carnival of souls or repulsion or even some of the techniques fritz lang employed for m Um, it's really that good um but it requires patience and if you don't if you're not a fan of ambiguity you might want to stay away from it but if you do like that sort of stuff it's it's a beautiful film to behold i think it's great Um, the next film on my list is nick pesci's the eyes of my mother again this is a film i've only watched once billy and i did a show on it probably back in 2017 or 2016 when it came out but That being said, um, it's another movie like The Bunny Game that kind of left a strong impression on me. So there are certain scenes that you can't unsee from that film, whether you want to or not. So I really like that about the film, and I think it was a great kind of calling card movie for Mr. Pesh, who did uh, Piercing, um, which we also really liked at The Last Knock. And he did uh, last year's reboot of the grudge which i have a lot of uh, respect and admiration for i think that's a very effective film that didn't get its fair due because of all that dumbass controversy about the cinema score reviews um so in any case yes the eyes of my mother and the last film for Namo ween again i haven't watched this one since i saw it in the theater a couple years back but i again it's a film that left such a strong impression with its imagery um, with its ambiguous tone and with its general ability to evoke kind of a bygone era of like a century or more ago um probably the late 1800s and it's robert eggers the lighthouse um, which is this great tale of you know a theme i really love in horror is just putting one or two people alone in a, in a setting and just watching him go crazy. Um, and that's what happens to crusty, uh, you know, fart infused seaman, Willem Dafoe and his sort of young protege played by Robert Pattinson. Um, it's, it was my favorite movie, horror movie of 2019. Um, I know our friend of the, friend of the show, Susan Layton, at Suze Layton on Twitter, um, was a big fan of the film as well. Um, you know, it very much is an A24 movie, um, so if you know what I'm saying by that, um, you'll know if probably whether you'll like it or not, but I thought it was great. Um, I, th- I think it really did a great job of doing what it set out to do. There's elements of mythology, fantasy, um, sort of like Night Tide and other things, or even the Tales from the Gimli Hospital, sort of thrown into this perfect stew of a film, which uh, does so many things right and really creates such a fantastic mood and has a really dark and effective sense of humor running through the whole thing, too. Um, I've often said that I think it's really uh, powerful when a film can make you feel like you're losing your mind alongside of the protagonist or protagonists in this case. And the lighthouse is a fine example of that. So yeah, definitely. Check check out the lighthouse. Uh that is my list of films uh in chronological order for hashtag nummoween. Um just for anybody who's keeping track at the moment uh I'll probably be watching diabolique tonight. Um, I have a three-day weekend coming up, so <laughs> here's hoping I can get a few more movies in uh, during the course of that. I don't really have any plans. So in any case, uh, thank you all for listening. Um, if you if you feel like uh, dropping a comment on any of the movies I, I spoke about, or if you want to tell me what you're doing for your own version of a halloween movie marathon please feel free to do so on twitter or if you know me on facebook feel free to leave a comment on facebook um yeah so it'll it's it's nice to have a theme um a themed marathon to work off of for the halloween season and it's sort of giving my viewing a sense of purpose that it might not have had so much otherwise so so thank you all for listening. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Johnny Numb. There are no H's in those Johnnies. You can find my writing at CrashPalaceProductions.com. And you can also find my writing over at TheScreeningSpace.com, which is run by the aforementioned Suze Layton. So thank you, everybody. Uh, happy Halloween. And we'll talk soon. Goodbye.